Uh, as we talked as a session about worship this morning and the desire to provide an opportunity to come together and the realities of what it means to be connected in the body of Christ and to do so to encourage one another, uh, to inform one another and to know how we can be praying and caring for one another. We just ask that you would continue to pray for us as uh, we seek to encourage and build uh, on community during this season where certain aspects of isolation will be necessary. So we're praying for you. We pray that you would pray for us as we try and wisely walk that line to be an encouragement and to be a strengthening and to to be wise in protecting uh, against uh, the virus and at the same time uh, doing what we can to encourage you uh, through uh, the ministry of the body. And so we desire to do that well. It was part of uh, the motivation then for me to take a slight deviation, although I think it's um, valid, uh, in our sermon series. This wasn't originally what I planned on preaching this morning, but it struck me that in the midst of a season like this, the reality of God being a God of love and the ethic, the very foundation and nature of the kingdom of God being one of love, framed, shaped, structured, the very air we breathe. I talk sometimes about how because we're fallen human beings, uh, forgiveness is sort of the coin of the realm. We are regularly exchanging forgiveness back and forth. We have to. It's the way we can function as human beings given our limitations and weakness. But the air we breathe, the foundation, the ground we walk on, the structure in which we live is a world designed and built by the love of God. It is framed and structured by that love. And it's not surprising then that when God exhorts us, whether it's through the wisdom we'll read in Proverbs, whether it is the encouragement of Jesus's words and the way that he interacts with people and his disciples, or the way those disciples in Paul and Peter continue to encourage love to be the means by which, the foundation by which, the assumption by which we interact with one another. So I want us to reflect a little bit uh, in the Greek word, uh, agape, that aspect of love this morning in our time. But let's put the text in front of us. Uh, This morning I'm going to read selections from Proverbs and also 1 Peter 4. And in this new format you can see that the words are printed for you in your worship folder. Proverbs 10, 11 through 12. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. 17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And then in the New Testament from 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. As we continue to desire to see and hear and know who you are, Lord, we pray that the closeness of heaven, this place, uh, this reality that by your spirit we stand in your presence, we sit at your feet, 
to learn and grow in our knowledge of what it means to be your sons and daughters. We pray this morning that we might again grow in our knowledge of a God who is and acts in a love that we can only now scarcely begin to notice the depth and breadth and power of. We pray this morning that whatever is said that is not useful for the building up of your people, Lord, that which is not true, may those words quickly be forgotten. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, It's not a new phenomenon that uh, we can miscommunicate or, more importantly, my presuppositions about you and our relationship may predispose me to misunderstand what you're saying. We read Exodus 17 this morning. The people in the wilderness say to Moses, did you lead us out here to die? You want to have a sarcastic answer at that point. Yes, you figured it out. God did all of that amazing stuff in Egypt just to watch you slowly die of thirst out here. Of course, sarcasm isn't the right way to go at that moment. But the communication act where Moses and the Lord have been showing Israel time and time again through word and deed, and yet there's something in the presupposition about ex-slaves who are terrified about where the next meal will come from, how they will be safe and secure. Right? They are barely 30 days out from multiple generations of slavery. They don't know the Lord God well. Though they knew who Yahweh was, though they cried out to the Lord for deliverance, they hadn't yet received the law. They hadn't been to Mount Sinai. They were being redeemed by a God. They were coming into a relationship with a God that they barely knew. And all they knew were the gods of the Egyptians in any kind of detail, and they are not loving gods. They are quid pro quo. They are, you exist human beings for my pleasure. And if I'm bored, I'll torment you. If I want stuff, I'll demand sacrifice. And because of that experience, because of that reality, is it really all that shocking? that they still interpreted the acts of God through Moses, through the lenses of fear. Fear that at any moment, the divine might depart. That Moses might abandon. They read the acts of God and Moses, not yet through an understanding of the love of who God is. Is there opportunity to? Sure. God is patient. He still provides water. Are there consequences? There are. But as we walk through this reflection this morning, I want us to be mindful, whether it's in our texting, where sometimes we text just a few words and not a lot of words, and then if I'm in a mood to doubt whether or not you're paying attention, I will take your short text as a dismissal of my longer text. I'll read into your motives. Right? So when we talk about communication today, and whether it's email or text, and we all have these conversations, well, it's not always the best way to communicate. And it certainly isn't. 
Notice uh, when Ben uh, encouraged you to communicate, he said, use your phone. Uh, And he really stressed to us that he wants us to call one another. Texting doesn't really improve human connection in the same way that hearing a human voice does. But whether it's email or texting or even a phone conversation where I can't read your body language or even when I'm in the room, if I'm predisposed to be fearful of you, if I'm predisposed to not listen to what you're saying, but to reinterpret what you're saying through my own experience in an unchecked and unloving way, almost anything can be twisted, even rescuing people from slavery. So what's the answer? How do we then as human beings start to listen well? Well, I want to encourage a couple of ways. First of all, this word agape that is in Peter, that is in Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians 5, where he talks about the reconciliation work of God and how he loves us and was reconciling the world to himself because of his love. The same word agape is used there in Ephesians chapter 2, 16, reconciling one body, the act of reconciliation and love. The word agape that translates many of the Old Testament references to God's love is a love that is certainly not sentimental. I was thinking uh, more that this is a love that is wind-blown lines in the face and calloused hands, that has gone through life together, that is beautiful and wonderful and rich, but unlikely to be soft, unlikely to be sentimental. It is a hard-earned love even as it is an unconditional love, because there are fewer loves that are harder to maintain than unconditional love. And so God regularly talks about himself being patient and long-suffering. Even though there are consequences this side of glory to rejecting God's truth, his patience and his love and his covering of his people's offenses is a regular refrain throughout the Old Testament and the Psalms and the prophets. I will love you. Come back to me. Even after you feel the consequence of your decisions, I will go and get you from Babylon. I will wash you and make you clean, Ezekiel says, is the reflection of the Lord. I will not stop loving you. That is a love that is hard work. And so when we begin to think about God's love, the first thing we need to understand is that it is a love of purposeful effort for the other. It is not a love that I receive first from the other. Like, okay, well then that's problematic. Then I have to generate all that love for other people. Ah, well, no, it is anchored in God's character. You see, the agape love that we live out is anchored in the character of God. It is His character. We're not creating something new. We are receiving it. 
because Paul tells us that we are new creatures in Christ, that the old is gone and the new has come. We have the opportunity in Christ to have the same agape love for one another because we have been loved with agape love. We are first and foremost recipients of that unconditional love. Therefore, no, we don't try and get it from another human being because at some level they'll never be able to love you and me enough. But because of the abundance of God's love for me, I can begin to love in some small fashion you as a reflection of God's love for you. It's anchored in the character of God, which is why we don't need to worry about justice. I don't mean not having decent court systems and laws in a country. I don't mean uh, that sort of utopian nonsense. What I mean is that in the agape love, which works hard to love people who are unlovable, right? It'd be easy if everybody was easily lovable, but even our children sometimes are less lovable at given moments. Our friends can be less lovable at any given moment. To love them well is an act, a volitional act, a conscious act. Not because it's easy, but because we extend God's love. It's in our new character. It's in the character of God to love the other. And in the midst of that, a perfect and wise and loving God will do justice. But as Amos says, he loves mercy. When he gives that command, love the Lord your God, walk humbly with him, do justice and love mercy, we know because of the character of God, that's how God acts towards us. God never tells us to do things he doesn't do. God exists in a perfect, loving, triune relationship. He extends that love to the other, and in so doing, He does justice and mercy. Usually, I am the least loving and the most suspicious of other people's comments and statements when I am defensive and afraid I won't get justice. My voice won't be heard. My rights won't be affirmed. It's hard to love you if I'm afraid that I won't be loved. So how do I procure justice for myself? What Proverbs is saying in many places, and certainly in verses 10 and 17, sorry, chapter 10 and chapter 17, is that God clearly knows about the wicked. They conceal violence. They stir up hatred and strife. And God says very clear things about where that will end up. But his call to his people, right after he says, hate stirs up strife, but love covers offenses. At the core of both of those things is somebody got sinned against. They just responded differently. Hatred stirs up strife. Why do I hate people? Probably because I want something you have or you did something to me that I don't like. And therefore, I foster and fester hatred towards you, and that brings strife, because I share it. I share my anger and frustration about you with other people or towards you, and it creates strife and division. And in the wisdom of God, he says, but love covers all offenses. 
Again, that frightens us because we fear that's going to make us in our love doormats. That justice won't be done. That's never what God means. Means, excuse me. His love allows us to forgive. And even if that means we need to keep wise space from someone who is dangerous for us, the way we do that will not create strife in the relationships around us. Not in the same way that hatred does. It increases the likelihood of being able to create that space without demonizing the other, without fomenting hatred for the other. Love covers that offense, even if it needs to separate from the offender. Whatever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You can hear the difference. I'm repeating it and over and over and over again, and I've been guilty of this, because at some point I wanted someone to take up my cause. And in the end, what I did was slander. Peter says that things, all things, are close to an end. That doesn't mean that Peter thought that the end of the world was coming. What he thought was that all things would be made right very soon. It's taken a little longer than Peter imagined. But the nature of his wisdom remains the only way to proceed. We don't know when God will return and restore all things. But what Peter encourages his people is live like the kingdom is here now. Live like love is the ethic. Live like Jesus is on the throne. Don't operate out of the short-term pragmatism of the world, which is strife and hatred and power. Operate out of the eternal standard of an eternal God in love that covers a multitude of sins, that re-evaluates the words that you say to me, not in a sense of fear, not in a sense of anger, not in a sense of distrust, but in the belief that if I don't understand what you're saying, I can ask for clarification. That if I misperceive your interaction, I don't go to the worst place about what that action may mean. By nature, agape is for the other, which means I'm going to have to figure out what that meant for you when you said that to me, when you acted that way towards me. We could close with 1 Corinthians 13, which is we hopefully have all heard enough times, at least in this church, it's got very little to do with weddings and everything to do with the kingdom of God. Because it's in the midst of Paul talking about how on earth you get a church to stick together. How on earth does the messiness of the Corinthian church ever end up holding together? It's not going to be in great philosophy and wisdom because they've got tons of that. It's not going to be in doing great works because at some point they started doing really great works of mercy. No, what Paul says at the end, as wonderful as all that is, 
with there is not love, we are a resounding gong. Agape believes and hopes. Love always hopes. Love always trusts. That cannot be utopian foolishness. It must be for Paul in the midst of his difficult life. If anybody should not have been a utopian, it certainly wouldn't have been St. Paul. His life was not a utopian bliss of love. He did not end up in a lovely place. He ended up in prison, and then they killed him. And yet in the midst of that, we get a glimpse of the eternal reality of God when Paul says, love always hopes, love always trusts. In Christ, we have the ability to begin to live that way, to live out an ethic of love, to do the hard work that will build calluses, that will put lines in your face, but they are lines of love, calluses of care, as we work out what it is in fear and trembling to love one another as Christ has loved us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be our strength and our courage to love well, to work at love, that you might receive the glory, that we might reflect your glory in greater, greater degrees. And in times like these, Lord, the world would see the assurance we have of serving a living and loving and resurrected Lord. Amen.